Uh, welcome, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Irrigation Training Series. I'm your host, Richard Rastusha, and today we're going to be talking about something that uh, just is getting more and more popular every day, and that is uh, indoor irrigation and indoor growing. You know, indoor irrigation, indoor growing offers a lot of benefits, right? The consistency of your water can be better. The efficiency of the applications can be much higher. Uh, you've got this ability to really be precise with your water and uh, it's uh, easy to control. And these are all the great benefits, but those benefits come with some costs as well, including things like a uh, system being fairly complex, uh, the cost might be a little higher. Maintenance might be a bigger challenge. And uh, there's a few other things that uh, you'll have to grow, uh, deal with as well. But uh, fortunately, helping us deal with these challenges and really hitting the biggest challenges, the three biggest challenges that uh, you're going to face uh, that are going to take most of your time uh, is Michael Derwenko. He's going to help us with some uh, great solutions here. Now, uh, those of you who have watched Michael before know that um, Michael's got a great um, uh, full circle education on irrigation. He started as a contractor uh, working for his father many, many years ago. He's worked in, uh, in the manufacturing uh, industry as well. Uh, he's been here at Jane with us for the past eight years. Congratulations, Michael, on that. And uh, he's really um, become a well-known expert in the uh, area of indoor irrigation. So, uh, Michael, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Michael, I'm just watching your videos blow up on YouTube on uh, indoor irrigation. Um, for a while, we thought that maybe the demand for indoor irrigation was declining uh, pretty rapidly, but based on what I'm seeing on the views of your videos, uh, they're, they're big. Uh, they're, there's got to be a lot of people out there still interested. Are you getting lots of questions? How, how's all that going? Um, well, you know, there's a specific request with what we deal with, uh, you know, being such a large manufacturer with so many components, uh, it, 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 there's literal ebbs and flows of support needed, uh, promotion needed, and so sometimes uh, the promotional videos are more popular. Sometimes support videos are more popular depending on where we're at in the market. It's a very good uh, pulse. Uh, and right now the support stuff is very popular. So what we did is, uh, you know, we had done a, a similar topic a few weeks ago and uh, we thought that pinpointing uh, a few of the topics that I get the most questions on um, and isolating those into a deck and hopefully presenting those today uh, so people can listen to it in a short amount of time. Yeah. So, okay. So today we're really going to be talking about the, uh, the top three issues, right. That people are going to face and more importantly, and, and I love it, right. Because um, uh, a lot of people just talk about the problem, but you're going to provide some good solutions and, and that's really key. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, it's like you said in the intro, the control, the control aspect, that's why we bring everything indoors. We really want to control all the variables uh, and we're fortunate enough to know how to control the variables. So when I hear problems, they end up being consistent. Uh, and there tends to be, um, you know, uh, it, uh, more solutions than there is problems to say. Uh, and so uh, knowing and what we've seen over the years, it makes it very easy for me to come into it from a positive standpoint where I feel like everything's kind of easy to solve at this point, which I think uh, a lot of growers uh, take to heart. And that's why we've had the, the success we've had. 
Yeah. Okay, great. Well, listen, I want to remind everybody, I've got the Q&A open. I've got the chat open. So if you have some questions uh, that you want uh, Michael to address today, put them in there and I'll ask him when it's appropriate. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I, the, these, the questions that I got, um, you know, specifically uh, were based on the, the criteria was basically, do I hear it every day or do I hear it with, within every two or three days? And uh, there's three very, very popular uh, challenges that come up. And not only do I want to cover it, but I do want to cover the solutions uh, or at least uh, arise, bring up the forum for people to ask the questions specifically for what they want. As we know, uh, or as we've learned, especially myself, while we might not have, we have participants live, uh, we know that uh, people tend to listen to this over the coming weeks as they have time to listen to it. So typically when I talk through it and I work through it, uh, I can tell you that if we have, you know, three or 400 people on here, I'm going to end up talking to 15 or 20 of them directly afterwards uh, and filling them in. So if I breeze through stuff in this half hour, uh, more than anything, I'm trying to open up the conversation and give you uh, the, the bullet points and you can always reach out to me with specific questions because I know there's typically debate on my solutions and typically debate on my challenges. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, that's great. And at the end, you'll uh, give everybody your uh, contact information, right? So that they can uh, uh, reach you when it's uh, convenient. Uh, yeah, for sure. Anybody, anybody that's watched these knows that I, I get back to them, whether or not it's good news or bad news, but uh, uh, I have no problem getting back to everybody. Okay, super. Thank you, Michael. So that being said, uh, we're gonna address uh, kind of the top three challenges that I get confronted with on a, a daily or weekly basis with irrigation specifically. That is kind of my forte uh, when it comes to growing mediums, lights, um, all these other slip and fall liabilities, insurance and uh, business loans. I am not the guy to talk to, but when it comes to irrigation and some forms of drainage, I feel like I've been in enough rooms uh, that I could walk you through the process. And so we're gonna talk about a few of the challenges um, we're going to talk about what we as a manufacturer have done, want to do, and we're, are looking forward to doing uh, in the future as far as innovation and uh, community outreaches and feedback is with indoor growers. Um, so we're going to go over some of those things today in the time we have. And then, as, as Richard said, we welcome the questions. Um, a couple of the, the three major challenges that I get dealt with are component clogging is the first one by far. Um, you know, when we deal with systems that have... Uh, very low flow uh, with small orifices, clogging is going to be close to the top. And so we're going to review a couple of solutions for that and, um, you know, maybe some, some ROI on solutions and then also some solutions that uh, have been shied away from by the industry for certain reasons. Automation is another one that creates some confusion with a lot of indoor growers. Um, a lot of the devices were built and designed and engineered for outdoor growing, indoor growing. Uh, the indoor controller market is still evolving. So there's um, a little bit of a hybrid technology that needs to exist. And so there's uh, some, I, would, I don't even want to say confusion, some frustration that exists with automating valves and irrigation systems indoors. Um, and so we'll, we'll touch on that. And then inconsistent flows. Uh, we have a lot of devices with those small orifices. We have a lot of them because we're typically growing a lot of plants inside. With control comes quantity. We want to be able to grow as many things as fast as possible indoors as safe as possible. Um, and when we do that, the liability goes up for flows being inconsistent and our devices try their best, but uh, with that many you know, um, data points out there, there's bound to be one that uh, it raises, raises an issue. 
Michael, you think the component clogging is bigger with uh, indoor growers because they're using things like uh, compost teas and other other mixtures like that that create this, or are there other reasons why this happened? Uh, well, outside, you know, um, so we're using pop-ups and rotors, overhead irrigation, typically the orifice is so much bigger, the pressure is higher, there's so much more force behind the, the you know, the water, um, behind the mass. So you're, you're pushing any debris out. Um, uh, I've been doing some side work on the weekends to help out some friends and dealing with pop-ups and rotors again. And I just have a grin on my face. I'm like, all this pressure and there's no clogging. Like uh, if a nozzle's clogged, there's been a substantial break in the system um, with, with not good flushing when the repair was done. Inside, um, I think all growers and myself can attest, uh, you can have the cleanest system possible, but all of a sudden a little emitter starts flickering with air. Uh, and the next thing you know, it's clogged. And uh, I kind of equate it to standing in one of those machines trying to catch dollar bills eventually one of those dollar bills is going to go right in the outlet hole. And uh, that's why we try to keep it as clean as possible. But I think that's why it, it's just, um, uh, it, it's a question of numbers. Or, you know, there's so many little holes that one of them is going to get clogged. Uh, that's why we try to keep prices low. <laughs> what, what I think is interesting too, is people think, well, a lot of this is municipal water, so it's clean, right? Do we even need to filter it? I think they're surprised when they find out what's actually, uh, you know, in the water, right? There's some pretty big pieces of debris. Well, I think, um, you know, most growers, middle scale and up, are putting the water in a reservoir. So they're catching it in a, they're catching it in a reservoir. They're either mixing their teas in that or a secondary um, reservoir is being used to mix the teas and the nutrients together. And then it's ultimately going through some form of fertigation, if not an RO system or uh, cooling of some sort. Uh, so you're trying to break down the water, the nutrient molecules as much as possible, but it's inevitable. And uh, the reservoir issue, um, you know, with Jane, we don't really deal with reservoirs. You know, Avid Water now does. Uh, they deal with reservoirs because, you know, specifically in the South, we, we get a lot of nutrients that flow to the surface. On the West Coast, um, you know, the nutrients are just going to clump at the bottom. Uh, and so mixing the reservoirs is huge, uh, sometimes labor intensive, um, and but also a huge unknown. I can't tell you how many reservoirs people are like, oh, we mix it up when we put it together and then it waters for the next three days. Well, yeah. over those three days, we get some sediment that sits, uh, depending on where the, the suction for the reservoir is, typically at the bottom, it gets goes in there and gets clogged. Now, what I wanted to touch on here specifically was uh, I get some pushback with the filter and flushing or I have over the, the past few months, because this is something that we or myself really push. Um, filtering does lead to more maintenance, but the maintenance uh, that you're going to, the, the time you're spending cleaning a filter out, uh, figuring out the flushing uh, or how to displace the, the nutrients that are coming in the water that's coming out of the flushing system is you're, you're gonna capitalize on that time much more uh, creating these singular maintenance points as opposed to dealing with clogging inconsistent clogging across emitters. And so primary and secondary flushing is so crucial. Um, and a filter is not the answer. A filter is not gonna solve the problem. Uh, if you have clogging in your emitters uh, daily, a filter is gonna save you weekly, basically clogging. You're still gonna have to clean your filters out. Um, you still need to dial in your microns. Uh, we make different filters for a reason, depending on the T's that are going through there. Um, let's get your, your microns dialed in. That's going to lessen the time you're maintenancing your system. Um, so there are there are ways to kind of reduce maintenance time, even though we are creating ma more maintenance points, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, definitely. I see that. That's an interesting way to distinguish there. Yeah, and in, and in landscape irrigation outside with pop-ups and rotors, everything's got a basket in it. The pop-up's got a, a nozzle basket. The, um, the rotor has a basket. So uh, instead, when we bring everything indoors and we start working with lower pressures, what we do is, uh, as a manufacturer, and most manufacturers do this, it's, it's a nod to the industry, is all these devices and components we're talking about, like the ones I have on the screen right now, have some form of filtration inside of them, whether or not it's like a labyrinth or kind of a, a cyclone or like a turbulent flow where it's moving debris to the sides and self-flushing the next time. So manufacturers have taken this into account. Now in the eighties and nineties, I can't say that was, that was necessarily true, but there has been some breakthroughs and evolutions in emitters. So I like to tell people all the time is like our click tip that's right here in the middle um, does a very good job of uh, knowing or coming into contact with debris, but not allowing it to, to become a, a failure. Uh, and then the next time the system comes on, it flushes it out. And so there's good emitters and then there's there's poor emitters that you can buy somewhere at the retail, the retail level. And when your plants indoors are worth them as much money as they are with the liability involved, you wanna make sure you're using something that's gonna deliver water um, consistently. Yeah, and so Michael, this, uh, this device here that's black with the red ring around it, what, what in the world is that? Um, so the one on the left is a set emitter, that's a take apart emitter. Um, some emitters uh, in our Jane emitter in the bottom left, sometimes uh, growers like to be able to take the emitter actually apart um, and flush it out, use it as a flushing point or see what's in there and clean it out. Uh, the one in the top left has a barb so you can connect quarter inch tubing to it. Uh, it's, a, it's an easy solution to, to pressure compensate uh, feeder tubes. Uh, and on the right is our air relief valve. Well, it's a combination air relief flush valve. It does two things. All these emitters are very prone to clogging when uh, air is introduced into the lines. When we get air, um, they, are not, they are not made to move debris through themselves uh, with air, but only with water. So if debris is in water, they can, they can clean themselves out pretty well. Uh, the turbulence from air can, can cause issues. And so what that air relief valve does is it eliminates air when the system turns on and when the system turns off. And then it also on the bottom of it has some uh, outlets that are going to push some of the bigger clumps of, uh, of nutrients out, uh, hoping to, you know, like I said, minimize debris in the system. Uh, when you're doing this at an automatic level, the uh, human error goes out the human error goes out the window basically because i love people telling me that a ball valve is the same thing it's just simply asking someone to walk over and open a ball valve is not the same as something automatically doing it every time and uh to put a five gallon bucket under that it's going to save you some troubles yeah i would say in the last uh nine years with jane uh when i show people the automatic flush valve this is the thing they go oh my gosh i didn't know about that uh, they see the value of it, right? So here's a big value item that many people are not using that's going to solve them, uh, uh, save a lot of time uh, and effort down the road. Yeah, and I tell people this all the time. If you don't know the technology, email me. I'll send you a sample. Because once you try it, um, I can't tell you. I would say of all the, the products we sell online, it's the number one product that we sell one of and then we sell more of to the same yeah. person. Because they, they buy it as a sample. It's what, four or five bucks. They put them on there because they're telling me that the ball valve is not going to work. They try it out. And um, within a few days, they've, they've bought a dozen of them for every line. Every line should have one of these at the end of it. And um, as soon as you eliminate the loop style systems that a lot of growers are using with a dead end, 
um, with the reliance of, of, of a human to open it and close it, uh, your, your odds of uh, consistency go up. And that control aspect is why we're doing this inside or, or we're just losing everything. Right. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. Um, next one, automation. Uh, there's a lot of confusion around automation. And some of the things that we've come across, I won't bother reading what's on the screen. Everybody has the, the slide to be able to read for reference. But one of the things that I've been getting lately is, uh, you know, landscape valves, uh, the market is slowly evolving. We have very high-end um, valves that are basically automated ball valves. They are just what they sound like. They're a ball valve. The mechanism is actually a valve that turns and opens. Um, they require, you know, more power, more technology to go into that thus more money, so they cost a considerable amount of money. But the workaround is to use lower price landscape valves. Well, as someone that's been in the landscape manufacturing field for 15 years, and been using them for another 15, I can tell you a lot of engineering time has gone in to build and manufacture controllers and valves that talk to each other well. This takes into account uh, people working in the rain, people putting their hands into pits of water when there's electricity from valves going into them, two-wire systems that are moving information. Um, so that has evolved. That evolution has not carried over into the market that we deal with indoors. And so um, is it happening? It is. But right now, we are once again dealing with a hybrid technology. So a lot of the support that I deal with is other manufacturers dosing controllers, fertigation controllers that are uh, dosing and um, distributing water and nutrients at a very low level. Um, with systems like ours that are emission devices delivering low level, um, but valves that need a lot of water to move through them to work properly. So, um, so there, there are some complexities at that level. That's why I hope you can lean on us as a manufacturer for support, because if you're using a Jane product at any point in that, um, that system or algorithm, we're willing to help you. And, but one of the, uh, kind of challenges as we've had is when you're applying water at a very slow, low level, uh, globe valves, just because of the mechanics inside of them can only open and close so fast. So mm -hmm. there becomes a challenge. And so this black valve that I have here, there is a diaphragm like the back of the flapper in the back of your toilet. And it requires a certain amount of um, atmospheric pressure above and beyond to open and close. Well, uh, when you start to deal with low flows and very fast um, amounts of water, there's no way physically water can open and close. Imagine when you flush your toilet too fast, it, it's not going to open and close as fast as you want it to. Same thing is here. So a ball valve kind of works, um, the physics of it work around that. Um, they are very expensive though. And this goes back to ROI. If you're growing 3000 plants and your valve costs you $400, uh, it's, I, I, it's like solar panels in Florida. I pay hundred dollars a month for power what was it in, out in California, Richard, 500? So yeah. all of a sudden the technology makes sense where you're at, doesn't make sense where I'm at. The same is true here. And so uh, I just want the market to be sure and the industry to be um, clear on, be wary of the manufacturer that you're dealing with and are they willing to support it? I turn down people a lot of times with our valves because I tell them my valve will not open and close every five seconds like you want it to. That's a very precise valve uh, and you're looking at anywhere from four to $1,200 for something that'll do that. Yeah, so interesting. It, it uh, oftentimes comes down to a uh, financial decision. I mean, it should always start with the financial decision. I think when you're first building the system, the automated ball valve makes sense. But uh, a lot of growers that put a lot of money into their infrastructure up front and they have these beautiful systems quickly learn that personnel management might be the struggle or 
quality control of the actual plants might be a struggle. So you're always gonna have some challenges. Um, being able to adapt to those challenges is huge. I always say start at the bottom and work your way up. I mean, learn how to learn how to navigate around a globe valve, around a, a watering by the minute instead of the second. And then in a year, two years after you've got some yields under your um, cap, then start thinking about four or $500 ball valves. Uh, work the opposite way. But I understand how uh, funding works and sometimes you gotta go big right off the bat. Yeah, okay, great advice, thank you. Um, inconsistent flows is another one I get. Um, uh, you know, when it comes to inconsistent flows, the biggest thing that I want to state here is uh, the components we deal with are very much uh, mecha they're mechanical in nature. They are uh, they're they're receiving variables and dealing with them the best they can. So if an octobubbler that has eight outlets has a couple of those outlets not performing like the others, something tells me that they're not getting the operating specs that they need. It's it's not um, it's not that they, that Octobubbler hates you and is, is torturing you with just two or three problems of the eight. Uh, typically that means that there's something from an operating specification that it's not receiving, whether or not it be enough water to distribute the, in this case, um, 0.17 gallons per minute per outlet or pressure where we need anywhere from 15 to 40 PSI. Sometimes when you get 50 PSI, you got a lot of water and a lot of energy, or excuse me, a lot of energy with not a lot of water. Um, it becomes very hard to distribute that water um, consistently across all the outlets. So um, just because that's, that's the number one thing I get is I got plenty of pressure, I got plenty, plenty of water. <laughs> well, how much pressure do you have? 80 PSI. Yeah, well, it works. That also is a problem. Just like too little pressure is a problem, too much pressure, that little uh, diaphragm inside the octobubbler, the device is just humming, trying to maintain um, distribution, much less uh, in this case, the flow outlets, distributing the amount of water that we need consistently. So uh, we wanna work within the, within the operating specs. The number one, when I get the question, typically I get multiple paragraphs of what's going on in their system. I respond with asking the question, do you have this operating spec and are you giving this each device this much water? Um, and I ask those questions and I never hear from people again. So I know that it's either the five bucket challenge, five gallon bucket challenge that they're figuring out and going, he's right, I'm only getting three gallons per minute. There's no way that I could provide this octobubbler with enough water, or uh, this is a fire hose at the end and I have 60 PSI. So um, it all really comes down to pressure regulation and um, the, having the right amount of flow to distribute, just like pop-ups or rotors outside, overhead irrigation, inside, we're trying to maintain things um, in a very captive system. Not There's not as much margin for error, which I think takes people by surprise sometimes. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I think about this, Michael, and I just, you know, I, I pull my hair out. I think it's so complicated. But on the other hand, it's very easy to know those specs to work within. And then it's just a matter of basic math. It's arithmetic to figure out if you're inside those and then and then you're good to go. Yeah, I think there's a step missing with most growers. And what's happening is um, the way that the variables are being delivered to us and from basically a support, I represent a support network as a manufacturer, but any contractor or anybody, um, it's missing a step. The, the, I mean, we, can, we do this every week or I do this as much as I can to, to get out there and I get great questions, but a lot of it is here are my system specs. And I can just tell by the way that the system specs are being delivered that there's a step in between. And in overhead irrigation, we would say it's it's a licensed or in, installation contractor that's going to take those specs, combine it with the manufacturer knowledge that we have, and install the system. 
But with indoor growers, a lot, the majority of uh, indoor growers are doing it themselves. And uh, if you can imagine a homeowner putting a 12 zone rotor system in with a trencher in their front yard, um, you could understand how when I get the synopsis of somebody's system, I'm thinking like, yeah, uh, we're so far away from where we need to be just by the information you're giving me. And so we're gonna try our best to support and that kind of segues into my new user uh, number one topic here. And we're gonna try our best to support it. Uh, but I would say, um, you know, a lot of times I share these links for these videos because that middle step, I think we do help solve with a lot of these webinars and there, um, people come back and go, okay, now I understand how this device works and the, what I need to do to get me one step closer. And then they don't even don't need our help or they come back with more like, um, you know, knowledge that's gonna help us move down the road and save us that in-between step. So I do see an evolution in the market, in growers. Uh, that, that is the good news. Um, but we got all the new, not a lot of new users. And I go back to the installation in the front of somebody's house. Uh, uh, we also teach contractors on the landscape side. We teach a lot of new contractors how to uh, use pressure regulation and drip irrigation and things like that. So uh, there, there's challenges across everything. Yeah, and so one thing I'm definitely hearing is uh, I, I better keep your contact information close by because I can reach out when I do have questions. And uh, just to clarify, is there a charge for that? Uh, no, I mean, the charge is just, you gotta use our product. Um, as someone that's been doing it a long time, anyone that knows my support, uh, you can send me photos initially of our co competitions product and I'll keep helping you. But if I've helped you and then I get see start seeing shiny new comp competitors products in there, um, I'm probably going to ask you to call their 800 number because uh, there is, you know, anybody that works in irrigation knows that support sets everything apart. Um, we can all have apples to apples products, but support is huge. And any customer that works with me knows how how much I how passionate I am about supporting them. And uh, and and I think that that's leaps and bounds. And so it's also very difficult with the manufacturing, like the product knowledge I have to support other people's products. It just doesn't make sense. You're not gonna bring your Chevy to a Toyota dealership and then complain that the firmware update isn't accurate. So, I mean, it, it's all relative um, to that, but we, we don't charge anything for that. We got a, a great new group with Avid Water that does it on the ag side, which, you know, hopefully one day landscape on, would, that could benefit from that because I do think uh, consistent industry knowledge uh, of, of installation practices along with manufacturing is huge. Um, a lot of times we have the architect specifier, the contractor, and then the manufacturer. And, you know, we rely on the sales team to communicate uh, kind of the evolution of where we need to go in those markets. And I think uh, bringing them under one umbrella was, was a really neat thing that we did with Avid. Um, and I hope to do that with a support network for what we do with friend or growers. Yeah, I think I, I right the network right sharing the information. This is what's so important uh, because we all learn if we all learn from our own experience, and we can just multiply that by you know hundreds of times if we also get the benefit of other people's experience. Exactly, and so um, to, to to kind of to wrap up some of the solutions for the challenges that I proposed earlier. Um, you know, one of, one of the biggest things is once again, when we're, when we're digging a ditch outside, it's usually 12 to 18 inches, boom, pipe goes in the ground. Uh, it's either thin wall or schedule 40 year variables. We've done a great job over the last 60, 70 years. How old's, I hate to say it, Rainbird, 80 years. We, we've evolved a lot since brass impacts uh, at the Beverly Hills Country Club. Uh, you know, so 
uh, the, the, the variables that exist out for outdoor landscape systems have slowly been engineered around, uh, but there's a reason our, our emitter line has, has seen the technology and innovation it has, um, and all these different things have. Those variables have taken a long time to engineer around. We still have those inside. So we're basically engineering around that, not to mention we can grow vertically. Uh, nobody's growing vertically outside. So there are so many variables um, that need to be addressed from the manufacturing side. Uh, and then, which is going to lead to industry, industry progression, which means our contractors, our installers, our growers are all going to become more familiar with these things. Uh, I know in the 90s when I started out, I hated emitter line. I hated drip line. It got clogged. I didn't know what pressure regulation was. Um, now you can't even buy a rotor. A contractor can't buy a rotor without pressure regulation. So, um, or shouldn't at least. So um, the industry has progressed. And so it's really up to us as contractors to continue to ask the questions. Um, but uh, I think that's a good problem to have. I mean, an yeah. industry growing with the with the resources that we do have, um, we're an open book, you know, let us know. Um, and I think that that's going to lead to better products. Because one thing I can say is uh, the market needs better products. Um, it needs things that are, are designated specifically for indoor growers. Um, and what can we what can we do as a manufacturer to support growers? Um, you know, provide support resources like we talked about. We're making videos, we're making uh, brochures, we're providing technical documents. Uh, I can't get my phone number and email out enough. Um, you know, we we just we really want to be there. Um, we know that we have thirty thousand products and now more uh, with with the new you know company. So we have so many different resources and solutions to offer. It's really about our customers coming forward and making sure that if we have the, the resource, we can work with them. If not, we wanna beta test and give them something maybe new. We're always working on new innovations. We're working on things. So if maybe there's a problem, don't hesitate to bring up that problem. Maybe there's a void that we can fill uh, with some product innovation, get you some samples. I love sending onesie twosies out and having people try power locks and, and mini pipeline for the first time. Um, you know, The beauty of these products is they're very much a commodity item. They're relatively inexpensive in nature, but the knowledge is is very expensive. So uh, let's install them right the first time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think another point you make here that's really important, um, you know, oftentimes we try to do things on our own, whether it's uh, irrigation systems or, you know, learning a sport. But as soon as you get that coach, you get that person that you can ask, so many times I found myself saying, man, I talked to you. I'm glad I talked to you because you just saved me so much time and trouble. Yeah, I, and you know, uh, there's a rhythm to it. I worked in a call center when I was younger at Hunter for many years. And when you answer 10,000 calls in two years, uh, you learn how to support so many different kinds of people, the visual aspect of it, the, aud the audible aspect of it. And so um, I can tell you a good support reach out for me is basically two or three emails and then you don't hear from them again. If you're, if you're going back and forth more than three times, even as a contractor, that's good rule of thumb. If you're getting a homeowner calling you more than two or three times after you, a visit, um, you, you need to go back to the drawing board. And the, what, when I know it's a success is I get that initial uh, description of a system. I get ask some questions. They come back with the results. I give them a solution. I don't hear from them again. Or they come back and they say, all right, some of that worked, some of it didn't. Um, but as I said, you're right. Being able to bounce ideas off, I think it, there's a comfort level involved. And we know as a manufacturer that sets us apart because people say, I'll use whatever you tell me to use because you always answer the phone. So um, I do think part of this is an advertisement just for our support network as well.
Yeah, and then like you have this brochure here, we've got indoor growing uh, design guides as well. I mean, this all exists on the Jane's website, uh, janesusa.com, is that right? That's right, yeah. We have a, a full technical brochures literature page. A lot of these I've built personally based on industry feedback, market feedback, working with customers. And so uh, if anything's not on there, let me know. Uh, but yeah, we, I mean, there's very, I, I don't know of much support that we can't provide. I would in the future, I will say, as a teaser to everybody like to do um, a little more, some more videos with some indoor um, support stuff. Um, we've done kind of outdoor, but I think there's a lot of indoor stuff, installing air relief valves, installing octobubblers to trays, um, just simple tubing connections, uh, things like this. I, you know, I, this is something that I would like to do in the future because I do think there is uh, a value in actually seeing somebody do it. And, uh, and so that's something I'd like to do. So we, we have more to come. Uh, like I said, some expansion on a couple of the things I mentioned, community outreach, uh, you know, getting, getting uh, some feedback from the market and the indoor grow industry is always huge. We're always at the big events hearing, hearing it out. Um, we are a very large company now, so there's not much we're not capable of or not capable of hearing, uh, beta testing new products and innovation. And then also, um, you know, not only with our merger, but as we've mentioned uh, lately, uh, you know, we've really settled into this market and we know that we're really good at supporting uh, indoor growers. And so we're looking forward to making, uh, you know, providing some precision in the products that exist, maybe not combining existing products, but making things uh, directly for the indoor grow industry. So if you've got any ideas, we're, we're open to yours. And my contact info. So very nice. Okay. And then this is a layout uh, that you're showing us too for a four-way manifold layout. We saw the octobubblers. You've got information and documentation on how to do all of this, right? Yeah, I mean, we have probably a half a dozen illustrations very similar to this. I love my te technical illustrations. They require very to little, um, no translations. So in this case, we call these whips. There's single four-way and um, two-way and four-way whips. Uh, the lengths of the tubing are different, but basically this allows us to uh, pressure compensate and deliver the exact same amount of water uh, regardless of how much pressure is in a system uh, through individual outlets. So when you have a lot of uh, tighter pot spacing or plant spacing, you're going to use a staking system like this. Yeah. Well, that is fantastic, uh, Michael. And uh, wow, what a great amount of good knowledge we got today from you. I, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, it was uh, very interesting and as always thought provoking and uh, educational as well. So uh, really appreciate your time and uh, your, your interest in this subject to really move all of us forward. Um, I want to thank everybody who joined us today. You know, we have all our video trainings at the changeusa.com uh, website forward slash trainings or just search, uh, as well as wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You know, we extract all the audio out of these. And uh, it's very, uh, very exciting to me to know that people are out there working every day and educating at the same time. Uh, it's kind of a great one-two punch there and uh, always gets me excited about working in education and research. So um, uh, thank you again, Michael, for uh, helping us out today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, you know, um, the news of the uh, Jane Rivulus merger uh, was out big this week. And uh, I'm excited to say that uh, next week we're going to have the president of uh, the uh, new entity, uh, John Vickapitz is going to be on uh, next week, Wednesday at uh, noontime uh, Pacific, 
And we're going to talk about all the good things that are in store for uh, the industry and our customers. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, see you next week. Again, Michael, thanks very much. Uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you. All right.